0: Welcome back into another installment of Sports Day in the D. I'm your host, John Ott. It's going to be your weekly radio show where you talk about the hottest topics in Detroit sports, as well as whatever is around Oakland University. just wanted to uh, give you guys a little bit of an update. I went to go get the show process done at Oakland University. I actually did um week two show there. And what I'm going to do is now upload this to you later because I was just trying to figure out all the equipment and everything else. What I'm going to end up doing is I'm going to do my show there on Wednesdays and probably end up doing this broadcast on Thursday or Friday and uploading it. And um, I'm not going to be using any more of those radio plugs where I plug in the radio station name or anything else. We're just going to go in, talk about the topics, and um, if you guys have any questions or whatever, you can um leave Any comments at the Facebook page, John Ott, you find me, J-O-H-N-O-T-T, and it's going to say Oakland University if you search me on Facebook, or Twitter, TBU Gunslinger, do that as one word, and that's my Twitter handle for John Ott, and I'm going to upload that stuff on Sports Day in the D with Facebook and Twitter. So thank you for your patience and understanding as I do some of these first few shows. that might not come out... So great at the beginning when I do some of this football analysis, but as I said, going forward, I'm going to build up on that, and I'm going to include some everyman topics, too, as the weeks progress, because I'm getting more practice into these pre-recorded shows, and then as I go live at Oakland University and possibly get a co-host and everything else, everything will be uh, running smooth and streamlined. Might we'll be playing some music and uh Doing some other things amongst those sports topics as we run those PSAs and everything when it goes on air at Oakland University, so that's the introduction. Glad to get that out of the way. Now we'll talk about Week Two's matchup and we're going to begin the uh, discussion today with the Detroit Lions as they lost Week Two's matchup against the San Francisco 49ers, 27 to 19. And as usual, there were some takeaways in this game for the Detroit Lions that kind of made me say the moniker that we all are used to here in Detroit of um, S.O.L., and that's not uh shit out of luck. That's the same old Lions. That's the moniker that's always used here. It's just the fact that last week the Lions only had two penalties against the Rams, and I went on about how amazing that was. Now the Lions go to eight penalties in this game, and there were some costly ones at that. And it was a chance for the Lions to do something, especially in this first quarter, three times they could have done something, and instead had to either hold for field goals or kept a drive alive that gave San Francisco seven more points on the board. And the first one of these is a pass interference call on Chris Culliver, and it was for Titus Young to get Matthew Stafford, like... 25 extra yards to go down the field, and instead had to settle for a Jason Hansen field goal. Then, the 49ers in the first quarter on the subsequent possession, ironically, fumble off of a kickoff return, and the Lions recover, but again, they only settle for another Jason Hansen field goal. So, now, come to think of it, the Lions shoot themselves in the foot again in the worst possible way, Drayton Florence, who was the corner that was a pickup for this coming, coming season because everybody in the secondary is still injured, whether it be Louis Delmas or Chris Houston, he runs into David Akers on a 4th and 5, which allows the 49ers to continue the drive, and Alex Smith connect for a touchdown to put the 49ers up on the board at the time 14, or, yeah, 14-6, to so when you really think about it, these are these three monikers that had happened that the lines could have changed ways and momentum of the game early in the first quarter because sometimes when you're playing up against really good teams, they're not going to be so solid to begin the game. That's just how it usually is. And that might just happen in terms of all teams, but especially sometimes when really good teams are playing, it might take them a few seconds to get going. So maybe you would say... They get going in the second half and start really attacking that game plan and putting everything into perfection. The Lions had some chances in here, and they just didn't do it. Now, in the Lions' defense, there's some things that the uh, people are going to say about it. Yeah, losing 27-19 to on the 49ers, maybe a lot of people didn't expect the Lions to win this game. Heck, I mean, the 49ers are a borderline Super Bowl team, no? I mean, that's what a lot of people are saying. You turn on NFL Network, and you hear... Michael Irvin, and you hear uh, primetime Deion Sanders saying that there's no reason why not to think that the 49ers shouldn't be a contending Super Bowl team. So, coming from the Lions' perspective on that regard, they shouldn't have won this game. And the way that the Lions are built, we had harped upon that on last week, with all the uh, money being spent toward the offense where is that defense going to come in? How how are the Lions going to be able to stack up against teams like the 49ers that are perennial Super Bowl teams? Uh, will the Lions be able to keep, compete with them because they don't have the same kind of defense? And the answer to this game was definitely no, and I think going forward most likely no. The one thing I do take away from this game is when we talked about last week, too, about Adamic and Sue, and I mentioned that GQ article, and that he didn't give the lady the time of day and anything else, and if he put some stuff on the off-the-field issues, if he continues to do that, he might be the odd guy out. Well, he did get another sack in this game, so he's got two and a half sacks in the season, and DeAndre Levy, DeAndre Levy nine tackles, uh, Justin Durant, six tackles, Steven Tolick got five tackles, and um, there were some good things coming from that side of the ball. But, I mean, the the defense had kept the Lions in the game, I would say. I mean, 27 points maybe. That, maybe that's what they're going to get. I mean, that's a, just a, a decent total that the Lions could have overcome, especially on offense, and they just couldn't get their offense going with only putting 19 points on the board. I do um have a word of warning, or like a, a word of thinking that's just... Not so good in terms of what Matthew Stafford is doing now. I'm kind of concerned about four interceptions in two games. Yes, he only had one pick in this game. He only had a chance to throw one touchdown. Stafford went 19-32, 230 yards. Four picks is kind of alarming. Kind of seems like the Lions offense hasn't gotten going yet this season. And I wonder if Stafford is just not sharp or if he's not in tune with with what everybody is doing. I think that's not the case, though, because... Most most uh, likely, all the offense is going to be mostly the same. Joint Bell and Kevin Smith isn't going to change it that much. Still going to be Titus Young, Nate Burleson, and Calvin Johnson for those catching those receptions. Not going to be moving guys in, and I don't think there's going to be too many injuries to go around. So Stafford maybe just isn't sharp early to start this season, but hopefully he can start clearing things out. As far as the rushing goes, leaders for the Lions. 16 rushes, 53 yards for Kevin Smith. Calvin had eight receptions, 94 yards. And a lot of um, three and outs or just settled field goals in this game. It's not going to get it done on the line's perspective. And as far as the San Francisco 49ers go, there's a lot to like. Alex Smith, 20 of 31, 226 yards and two touchdowns. Now, Alex Smith has taken a lot of flack over the years for being that really high draft pick in San Francisco and not being the quarterback that he was expected to be. And maybe that was just because the 49ers weren't that good, and I'm probably wrong on the front, because I'm sure they've always had some players that were good. Those guys in Candlestick Park and then there's <laughs> Jerry Rice and all that stuff. The team's the team's been good for a long time. We go through a transition phase and get a quarterback that's supposed to be the savior. Sometimes it's hard that uh, it doesn't happen Right away, I mean, keep in mind of what everything the Lions went through. They got Joey Harrington, yeah, at the same level. They probably compared Joey Harrington to Alex Smith at one point. These guys suck. Joey Harrington is out of the league. Alex Smith has taken a big turn to be one of the better quarterbacks, if not one of the best quarterbacks in the league. The reason I say that the dude had 17 touchdowns last year and threw for over 3,100 yards. He's already got four touchdowns and no, pick this, no picks this season, and he has a 116 quarterback rating. He's really good. And maybe you can say there's guys that are better in the league, Matthew Stafford, Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, etc., etc., maybe even throw Tony Romo in there, but he hasn't really uh, won a playoff game for them yet, but he's still pretty good. I would say Alex Smith is probably good enough for what they have. Maybe he's not on the same level of some of those guys, but consider what the 49ers have. They got Frank Gore. He's a beast of a running back. Vernon Davis is one of the biggest, fastest, strongest tight ends in the league really solid there. there. was not too many guys that are better than him, and I think that there was a good pickup by the 49ers this year in getting Mario Manningham, not just because he's from Michigan. I'm not taking that route. I'm saying from the Giants to go to the 49ers, good pickup there, and Michael Crabtree might be making some grounds and improving from what he can do this season. The team's just solid, and then on defense, the Patrick Willis and they got a lot of other good guys on the D line. I'd have to look at the sheet there, but he's just one of the big guys that everybody knows. And David Akers is probably one of the best field goal kickers in the league. So you got a solid defense, solid running back, you got a good receiving core, a good tight end, and a pretty good quarterback to go along with it. And you have recipe for a team that could possibly make it to the Super Bowl. Now, like I said last week there was some reasons of why this game would be on TV with uh, the handshake gig with Jim Shorts and Jim Harbaugh. That's just stupid. I didn't like any of that stuff, and it just didn't seem to... Uh, they The camera would just zoom in. Oh, watch the handshake. Uh, who cares about none of that stuff? you got a football game to play. Nothing happened on that regard. There was no extracurricular activities. The Lions just got whooped down by a good team. And if you're the 49ers... I would think you feel pretty good. You're and 0 You beat the Packers, and regardless of whatever you think about these Lions, they were a playoff team as well, the first time they had made it in a long time. So Packers and Lions, especially Packers, perennial Super Bowl team, have to be 2 and 0 And are they really the best team in the NFL? Because I don't know if you saw that game with uh, Arizona and the New England Patriots. That field goal kick at the end the Patriots could have had to win won that game was so wide, it was ridiculous. It was one of the worst kicks I've ever seen. And the 49ers, I would say, is one of the reasons why they are a really good team and could be at that point. I don't remember the last time these guys had turned the ball over. I believe I heard a stat on one of the Fox broadcasts that said the 49ers hadn't even made a turnover in this game in 10 games. So I would say regardless of that fumble that you saw in that game, I'm saying like Alex Smith, doesn't turn the ball over in general, or the running backs, that makes for a really good team. And I would be hard-pressed to see this season if the Lions would be able to go past, like I mentioned before, the Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers. Same kind of thing, too much talent. And the Lions do have a chance to do something next week when they go to take on the Tennessee Titans. They're currently 0-2 with 61 points allowed and a whole lot of yards, so that aerial assault better get going, put the Lions up on the 2-1, and one, and then after that, they got the Vikings, which is a winnable game, and then a bye. So the Lions' schedule is looking pretty easy in the next couple games. Obviously, in the NFL, you would say there's no easy games, but the Lions need to win those two games, go 3-1 and one to go into the bye. And the San Francisco 49ers, not sure what they got coming up next, but um, I would expect... ...them to be among the top of their division leaders and uh, possibly fight for that playoff spot and go beyond up into the Super Bowl. So when we come back, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the Tigers. And uh, I don't know if necessarily we're going to be dropping bombs on them today, but there were some things that we need to take away of that Cleveland... And the Chicago White Sox series, more of the same from the Tigers in a disappointing season. We'll be back in the next sports sports segment. This is John on Sports Day in the D. Stay in the D. This is John Ott here with you, and you're listening to the glorious sounds of Tiger baseball in the AL Central. You know, if I had the sound of crickets, I would just keep on playing those over and over. And when I we were coming into that commercial break, I said I was going to talk Tigers, and I was de- contemplating on whether or not we're going to start dropping some bombs on them. And um. My notes are just a a tad out of date because this show is going to air about September 20th, September 21st when I upload this to uh, Facebook and Twitter. So it says they're three games out. The Tigers are only currently two games out because Tigers have lost... Twelve to six to the Oakland A's today. They get blasted in the ninth inning, but got some help from their friends, the Kansas City Royals, as they beat the Chicago White Sox three to two. So Tigers are currently only two games out. So what I was going to go ahead and do was talk about some of the stuff that we had saw over the weekend and on that very important Monday makeup game between the Tigers and the White Sox. But let's first start with that Saturday game and the Tigers versus the Cleveland Indians. Now the Tigers did end up with a losing record to the Cleveland Indians, as the Indians went 10 and 8 against the Tigers this year. It's absolutely pitiful because the Indians were obviously one of those basement teams, and it's just frustrating the way that the Tigers lose. They lose six to five off a of Lonnie Chisenhall third baseman. Yes, I can do it. Shoot a ball over the outfield and make the Tigers lose in the bottom of the ninth. Jose Valverde blows a save. He's not perfect like he was last year. He was still pretty darn good so far this season. I don't know if I can put the blame all on him, but you know what I will say is that pitching, we talked about last week how it's been good. Now there's been some points where I don't know if it's just some of the relief pitching or some of the starting pitching. It's not that ERA that's just barely above two now. I was getting some questionable parts, of where it's just fluctuating, and toward this end of the season, in these 16 games, the Tigers can't afford to have this happen. But they lose 6-5 to against the Cleveland Indians. And the only reason why the Tigers were even close, because all those MVP chants, whether it's from Cleveland, whether it's from Detroit, whether it's even Tigers fans going into the hostile territory of the Chicago White Sox, Detroit fans still find a way to come in there and just say, NVP. MVP! MVP for Miguel Cabrera over and over again and quite frankly he could be considered an MVP this season but I end up might might be thinking that it's just going to end up being a consolation prize as the Tigers find themselves on the outside looking in to the playoff race and the AL Central that they needed to win because again they have no hope of getting into that wild card So Miguel Cabrera blasts a three-run home run, temporarily gives the Tigers the lead, and the Indians just decide they want to finish the business in the ninth. And to be fair, the pitcher that I was talking about, Rick Porcello, he did get boned by some shoddy defense. And that's some of the stuff that we talked about last week is the way that the Tigers are all set up. They're not going to be a good defensive ball club. And Prince Fielder had some disdain toward uh, umpire Brian Knight's call from a double play from center fielder Michael Brantley and Lonnie Chisenhall. And Leland ends up getting tossed in the fifth inning in this game as well. Prince Fielder, uh, two times in this game, I think, he had, a, there was some double plays that the Tigers could have turned. Some stuff he had, so a lot of disdain, and Prince is not one of those guys that really sits there and talk. Just like Miguel Cabrera, he doesn't really sit there and talk. So if these guys are chirping to the umps about something, then obviously there are some plays that are missed. But, if you're the Tigers, there's no excuses, you gotta go out and win these games, and that's exactly what the Tigers didn't do. So now going into that Monday matchup, the Sox, I think, are considering, I think they're thinking they're fortunate because in that game Friday that was supposed to be played, the Monday makeup because of the rain, they didn't have to face Justin Verlander. So coming from me, I felt good that Doug Fister was on the mound, and, of course, my uh, proclamations of him being a good pitcher, I still hold up to that, but he didn't pitch that well, in this Monday game either as the Tigers lose to the White Sox 5-4 to four, and had dropped three games out at the time of that central lead. And it's a pivotal, pivotal, pivotal time for the Tigers because they had a chance. Either they drop to three games or they go only one game out. And the Tigers drop one of the biggest games, probably the biggest game of the season so far, considering that's the last time you're going to play against your rival that you're chasing but the Sox, even though they won this game, it's a typical AL Central, somebody's got to win this game at some point game. As uh, the Sox had left the bases loaded four times in this game, and only in the uh, fourth is when they tied the game 3-3. Three to three. The Tigers came out early in that third inning, scored three runs. Sox had left the bases loaded in the third inning, and in the fourth, Tiger killer Dwayne Wise goes and gets... Those three runs as they manufacture everything. And Johnny Peralta, as much as I make fun of the cat about not having much range, he's one of those guys that actually dove in the infield to keep the score tied at three. And if he didn't do that, I'm pretty sure it would have been 5-3 at the time, and the Tigers would have put themselves in an almost unwinnable position. And in the fifth, the Tigers did get lucky because Prince Fielder wasn't safe on the call at first. And, um... I don't know if the Tigers really took advantage of it because Delman Young only scored one run to get things tied up again 4-4 at the time. And like I said, Doug Pfister not sharp in this game. Only four innings pitched, giving up eight hits and four in runs. But again, just like Sunday's game against the Indians, the defense was not sharp. Hell, you could think about Maybe the last four or five games, at least four or five double plays that could have been turned or plays that could have been made that the Tigers did not make, and it definitely came back to bite them. But the Sox being the Sox, not trying to go through this chronologically, but the uh, bases were left loaded in the eighth because Dwayne Wise, off of a fly ball, did not manage to tag home in time to get a pivotal second run in for the White Sox. And you got to think about that's the most horrendous base running you've ever seen, and the White Sox could be up by two runs going into the ninth, but considering everything the Tigers fans had to go through at this point in the season, do you really think the Tigers are going to score in that ninth inning? That one run's going to hold. In this game, with runners in scoring position, the Sox were only 2-for-12, but managed to get it done as they win the game 5-4. to Detroit was 4-of-11. So, from this point, and the Oakland Athletics, now they're only two games out. They did take two out of three from the Oakland Athletics, but as my notes would say before prepping for that series, I still think the Tigers are not in a spot that they want to be. I really think they should have won that game, try to get one game out, and if they did, they would be tied if they would have won this game now. So... The Tigers do have a losing record against the Cleveland Indians, and like you said, it's worth repeating. Tigers are only 7-5 against the Twins and 7-4 against the Royals, so the Tigers' schedule pretty much looks like this now. We chronicled it last week. Now that the Athletics Series is over, you go play the Twins, the Royals, and the Twins and the Royals. So it goes Twins 3, Royals 4, Twins 3, Royals 3. That's... The last schedule that the Tigers have for these games. So, in this point, now we're saying if the White Sox go eight and eight or nine and seven, this is how it breaks down, and this is legitimate. This is the truth If the the White Sox go eight and eight or nine and seven, the Tigers must go eleven and five or twelve and four in these sixteen games. And the sixteen games that I'm talking about it is is the series that just ended up with the with the Oakland Athletics, where the Tigers have taken two out of three. And then the last two series between the Twins and the Royals. The Tigers would have to go eleven and five or twelve and four if the Sox went eight and eight or nine and seven. So my critical question now at this point is how many times do we need to rely on the White Sox? Can't we just get this stuff done? I know I kinda of harped upon that last week, but I think it bears repeating again. Tigers control their own destiny now. They play the Twins and the Royals for the rest of the year. It's teams that they need to have better records against. And quite honestly, if they really wanted to win the AL Central, their records would need to be better. And if they really think the time is now and they really want to step on the gas and actually try to win some of these games, I think the Twins need to go in, or the Tigers need to go in the series against the Twins when they play them and beat Samuel DeDuno tomorrow and then just sweep that series. Because the White Sox now, they're playing the Anaheim Angels and the Tampa Bay Rays. And regardless of what you think about how good that offense is for Tampa, I mean, it might not be so good, but they still got Evan Longoria. And the Angels are definitely still fighting for a playoff spot. And they have a lot of of good starting pitching. Still got Albert Pujols. They still got the guy that could beat out Miguel Cabrera for the MVP, and Mike Trout. They really need to get in there. They're really going to try to put some pressure on the White Sox. Both teams needed win but I think the Angels are the better team and they can probably win out and beat the White Sox. So if you really think about it from the Tigers' perspective, if this weekend goes by and the Tigers take care of business and the White Sox probably lose two out of three, Tigers could go into this weekend tied for the division again. Now they need to come through and win this stuff in the final games. I'd expect it to play out like that, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Tigers fall flat on their face and somehow, some way. The grace of God touches the White Sox, and they end up going up three or four games. But that's just the way that the series shakes out and what the Tigers need to do next. So, if it's going to be a season of disappointment, if we only have a couple more weeks to talk about the Tigers, which I hope not, because it's a lot more interesting when you get to talk about some playoff baseball. Playoff baseball is enjoyable. You have to watch 162 games a regular season. It's so long. People say it's so boring. But when you get into playoff baseball, I really like it. Playoff anything, I really enjoy it. Mix for good TV. I don't want the Tigers season to end up playing out like this, but if I have to mention this, I'm going to mention it now. It's in the notes, and that's also worth repeating too. I think Tigers fans would note that it's just a season of disappointment. And I'm not talking about Prince Fielder being a disappointment because we know, like I said, with uh, the injury to Victor Martinez, Mike Illich had that money. He wanted to replace Victor's production, so he brought in Prince. Maybe he paid a little bit too much for him. Like we said, we know that he's going to be a DH for about four or five years. But Prince Fielder's been pretty damn good. He's hitting over 300. and paired with Miguel Cabrera, those guys have been really good. But I think it's the guys from last year of note that haven't done as well for the Tigers. Alex Avila did make the All-Star team last year. Maybe you'd say his batting average is about the same. But I don't think they're getting the same amount of production for him. Brendan Bosch has been absolutely horrible. There's no other way to describe him. He's terrible in the outfield. I don't know where he thinks the ball is. And then that uppercut swing that he has just hasn't served him any purpose of any good so far this season. And Johnny Peralta wasn't really that great with the Cleveland Indians he was a serviceable player but when he came over with the Tigers last year he had a really good season outstanding production I think maybe the Tigers fans had bought too much into Johnny Peralta expecting him to have that same kind of production and he just kind of played out the way that he always plays out so with the Tigers even with all of that you would expect them to play a little bit better and you would think that this division is winnable even if Victor Martinez isn't healthy and I think going forward we talked about last week how the Tigers shouldn't look to make some changes to build some players that are faster for the kind of ballpark that they play in and Comerica being a doubles and triples alley I don't think it's going to happen but if they do get some production out of Victor Martinez and he comes back relatively healthy and he comes back hitting the numbers that are relative to around that with that um signing of Prince Fielder last year, Tigers have no excuse to not make the playoffs. I know people are talking about how good the Kansas City Royals could be in a few years because, yeah, they got some guys that can hit, but they really don't have a pitching rotation. So I don't want to hear the Kansas City Royals creeping on a come-up. There's no bone thugs in harmony here to save them. They just need to take... Tigers need to take care of business and get stuff done now, not think about next year, get this stuff done now, but if it does come to that... Tigers should have it winnable next year, too. No excuses. Just get this stuff done this year. Beat down the Twins. Beat down the Royals. And I think you're going to get some little bit of help from your friends in the Chicago White Sox. And the division is still winnable. And at this point next week, if we're not talking about it being tied, then something's wrong. I'm going to come back from the break and talk some Michigan State Spartans because there was just a a debacle of what happened on um Saturday, as the Spartans had lost big time to Notre Dame. This is uh, John Ott, Sports Day in the D. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to Sports Day in the D. I'm your host, John Ott. We're gonna be talking some Michigan State Spartans, and I know Spartan Nation is not feeling too well out there after losing twenty to three to Notre Dame. But you know what, Spartan Nation feel good because this guy is not your head football coach anymore. You guys act like it's pick it up a little bit. Okay? Get your chin up. Smile. Smile. Okay? Hey, you guys alright? If not, I'm not talking. Yeah, that's the uh, former MSU football coach, John L. Smith, so be thankful, guys. All jokes aside, he's not your coach anymore. I know it's not a game that you guys want to lose. Like I said, I'm an Oakland University guy. I'm an alum there. I want all the Michigan teams to do well. Did not show well for Michigan State as they lost to Notre Dame 20-3. to And there were some definite takeaways. Not too great for Michigan State. Just when you think they're always turning a corner. State's going to lose to some of these teams that maybe sometimes are ranked. But when you question what position Michigan State is in terms of what, what college football is, I think that they're a step below the elite. I think that's clearly obvious, especially after this game. So let's go through some of that history that the Spartans have had to go through. In 2010, going against Iowa, Michigan State was number five, currently 8-0 at the time. Kirk Cousins was the quarterback. He didn't even throw a touchdown. Spartans lost 37-6. to they only had 31 yards rushing in the game. Iowa had 162. In 2011, they played Notre Dame. Notre Dame was not ranked at the time. Michigan State was ranked 15. They were 2-0. They lost 31-13. Again, only had 29 rushing yards. Notre Dame had 114, and State had 12 penalties in this game. And the most recent loss, I think, of, which is a heartbreaker, is uh, 2011 Nebraska, Michigan State was ranked eleven at the time, six and one, Kirk Cousins again threw no touchdowns as the Spartans lost twenty four to three, and the Spartans were held to just one hundred and eighty seven yards. And the reason I say maybe that might have been more of a heartbreaker than the uh the big ten title possibility between Wisconsin was the uh Spartans actually showed up on the offensive side of the ball. They just like ended up being a field goal short to the Wisconsin Badgers, and they couldn't get it done. So Maybe there's a question of to just say, is it just something about the Notre Dame fighting Irish? And there might be a correlation there, because remember I had mentioned just a few minutes ago that Notre Dame had held uh, last year, the Michigan State Spartans, to only 29 rushing yards. And in this game, with Le'Veon Bell being that beast of a running back like I described last week when I said State would be the toast of the Big Ten, I still think that they're going to be. Michigan State had only 50 yards of rushing in this game. So they just got completely dominated at the line of scrimmage. And for Coach Brian Kelly and Notre Dame, that's probably the best game of his tenure. And there was just... I don't know anything that Michigan State's Barnes had done well in this game. It's kind of like when you go into last week... The Michigan's barely scraped by Air Force, but there was just a lot of things, and the game shouldn't have even been that close. Michigan should have taken care of business. I think Michigan State should have uh, been able to show up a little bit better and not get dominated pretty much on the offensive side, the defensive side, special teams really didn't do anything in this game to make you think that they were going to beat Notre Dame. So the numbers on Andrew Maxwell, um, not that great, 23 of 45. 187 yards, no touchdowns. He did have no picks though. And um, Everett Golston, the counterpart for Maxwell Notre Dame, 14 of 32, yards, and a, and a touchdown. Maybe his completion numbers aren't so great as well. But I think when you're watching that game, Golston, I think it was clearly obvious that the guy did have a good arm, maybe he wasn't so accurate, but he had a powerful arm to throw on the field. And the guy can make some plays with his feet, which is not something Andrew Maxwell is going to be able to do. But he was able to make some plays and pretty much keep the Michigan State defense on edge. I mean, they really couldn't do too much to stop him. As far as what Le'Veon did, he had 19 rushes, 77 yards, but that minus 28 comes from Andrew Maxwell running the wrong way from that defensive pressure. And um, the receivers for Notre Dame, not not sure how good they are. Maybe Notre Dame is better than everybody thought they were. They're having a really good season so far. Hadn't lost. They are 3-0 and on the season now and are definitely going to be ranked higher than 20. And Michigan State is definitely going to probably hang around the top 25, going to drop down about 15 spots. Jones for Notre Dame, four receptions, 59 yards. Toma, five receptions, 58 yards. Uh, Jonathan Goodman, one reception, 36 yards. Uh, As far as any other big numbers for State, not really seeing anything. Sims, six for 52. There's not too much they could do. There might have been some things on Notre Dame's side that if you believe into, um, winning a team to a, willing a team to a win, you know, that could be one of these things. It's, it's a sad note. No, uh, um, oh, I know there's a lot of passion in the college football. No making fun of this guy. Mateo, he loses, the linebacker for Notre Dame loses his girlfriend and his grandmother within a 48 hour span. I mean, I don't know how you can even play football in that regard. The quote that he had was, I'd be able to call my girlfriend right now and talk to her about the game, but now I've just got to drop to my knees and say a prayer so I can talk to her that way. Incredibly, incredibly sad. I don't know how he was able to go out and play football, and maybe you could say that his team had willed him to a win, or maybe you could just say that the defensive line helped will him to the win because... The defensive line against the Spartans, got four sacks, six tackles for a loss, and Prince Shambo for the Fighting Irish, nine tackles, two tackles for a loss, and a sack. So those guys really took care of business, got rallied behind their teammate who was obviously in pain and had to go through all of this stuff, and they put a national beatdown on the Michigan State Spartans, winning 20-3. to And you know what I take away? Not anything to take from Monte Taylor. I'm just saying... Notre Dame in general hadn't been that good in the last few years and I've always wondered why they were on TV and you know that NBC contract and everything there is valid I didn't really see them being that good but they're on the TV because of that contract and like now I said I think they're better than we all think they are I mean, this team is having a really good season obviously if that defensive line can play the way they played against Michigan State and thought Michigan State's pretty damn good they can play that way, and Golston, I think, is quicker, and uh, Brian Kelly's arm and all those guys, I think, are all quick on their feet. They can bring the, bring the pain, rush when they need to, get to the quarterback. That The quarterback's got that arm and the feet. That defense is pretty good. I think Notre Dame is just clearly a better team than we thought they were going to be. Um, like I said to the point of Michigan State, you know, they did have to deal with some of those losses and stuff going the last season, but then... And that 2011 after that Nebraska loss. and What did they come out and do in that season before they win that bowl game? They lost to Wisconsin, but they won the bowl game against Georgia, who I believe was playing in the SEC championship game. Michigan State went out and did it that way. Michigan State usually comes back and rebounds from big losses and ends up having a good season and having a chance to win that Big Ten. They'll definitely be in that Legends division and have a chance to Try to get that Big Ten title. And I think they'll come back and they'll rebound from it. But it it just didn't look so good in terms of a team that hadn't given up an offensive touchdown within the last two games to go get shellacked like that. And maybe it's an opportunity for Michigan State going forward in these next few games because I think some of their, uh, the schedule gets a little bit easier. Get a chance to work on some things. Work on that passing attack. Work on that rushing attack. I believe they're playing Eastern next week. So they're going to get a chance to do a lot of things. I don't know if everything is going to cover the spread that's been noted around here on 97 1. But they'll get a chance to um, practice that passing, practice that rushing, and do what they need to do. Just get their offensive in order. And their defense, I think, just can regroup a little bit after having to play a little bit of an easier opponent and get their swagger back and do some of the things that they need to do. And I think uh, Coach Mark D'Antonio said it best. I think the Spartans got a uh, slice of humble pie and will handle it. That's what he said. I think that's what the Spartans need to go forward and do and just recover from a very difficult loss, a shellacking on national TV. Like I said, the national TV in the spotlight, Michigan State has not done well, but in regards to that, they've come back and tried to make a statement again this season and salvage that season. So good win for Notre Dame, bad loss for Michigan State. Michigan State has an easier schedule going forward. I think they're, like I said, playing against the Eastern Michigan Eagles have a chance to do something, look for Michigan State to rebound. And as far as Michigan goes, playing against Notre Dame, this is just a note to throw in there because we're still on the uh, Notre Dame moniker here, I don't think they had found a way to stop Denard Robinson in recent history. But with the way that I'd seen them play against Michigan State in this game, I think you can uh, put that one to bed. I think Michigan's going to get shellacked. Unless Denard Robinson can go out like he did in the Air Force and run for two touchdowns by himself and keep his team in the game single-handedly, I think Notre Dame's going to go and roll Michigan in the Saturday game. When we come back from the break, I think I'm going to bring up another topic. Might um talk about some reality shows that you want to see come back here. It'll be the last segment on um, Sports Day in the D. And be right back here with you on the break. Stick around. As we're coming back in here from the break, John out with you here on Sports Day in the D. It's going to be the last segment. I'm going to put this show to bed so to speak. It's getting kind of late. And um talking about a reality show that you'd like to see come back on TV that, you know, there's been a lot of reality shows that are stupid. You know, you get reality shows for anything and they're just like you can't stand to watch some of them, but when something comes along that's sports related that's actually really good, I hate to see when it you know, it goes off of the air. And I'm talking about Pros versus Joes on Spike TV. I really like that show. And I'm not talking about the stupid Season 4, Season 5 rendition when they had Jay Glazer and Michael Strahan from uh Fox Football Crew on there. I'm talking about the Petros Papadakis guy that was from US, USC. That was really, really good. He was really funny. He has some good commentary. And quite frankly, the uh level of talent they had put from 1, 2, and 3 in the seasons of Pros vs. Joes was a lot better I'm not going to sit here and go through all of the names, but let me just give you some stuff in regards of what season one and season two had brought. So pretty much what pros versus Joes is, is they take maybe three to six guys, you call them Joes, guys that wanted to play professional athletics, but they couldn't do so because maybe they had sustained an injury or they just couldn't do anything after they got from college. They weren't good enough to make that transition to the pros, but they wanted to give themselves One, like, specific shot at to see if they can compete with guys that have really competed in their, uh, prospective fields. And the pros, I don't think there was any, uh, stint on maybe that these guys weren't any good. When they did this show, they really put the best of the best against these Joes, and it was just really entertaining to watch. So, I'm talking about all forms of fields. I'm talking, I'm even including, like, wrestling, soccer, softball. Olympic decathlon, all of that kind of stuff. So let me just run through some of these names here see if you guys would be interested to have to go up against... What about uh, Bill Goldberg from WCW and WWE? What about having to try to out-rebound Dennis Rodman? Play D against Muggsy Bogues. Yeah, a lot of you guys out there are taller than Muggsy Bogues, but are you faster? Can you steal the ball? You know, Jenny Finch is very beautiful. She's an incredible softball pitcher. Do you think you can even try to out-pitch Jenny Finch I believe the girl has won gold medals and stuff with Team USA. She's incredible. Uh, Bo Jackson from football, Major League Baseball. Dan O'Brien who's in the Olympic decathlon. Could you survive a hit from um, Bill Romanowski? <laughs> Some cool stuff in here. Clyde Clyde the Glide Drexler from the NBA. Um, Gary Hall Jr. from Olympic swimming. Some of these guys I don't know who they are, but I'm trying to include every one of these. Uh, I've heard of Brandon Chastain, a soccer player, and um, Justin Gatlin from track. All all different kinds of fields. Let's see what was in um, season two. Season two: Michael Irvin from the Dallas Cowboys, part of Run TMC. Tim Hardaway uh, from the NBA. Eric Dickerson from the NFL. Roy Jones Jr. from boxing. How many of could you guys actually go in there and try to outbox Roy Jones Jr. Could you play soccer with Kobe Jones and uh, Spud Webb, another small guy in the NBA? But you remember those dunk contests when he uh, outdunked Dominique Wilkins, who was in here, by the way? Dominique Wilkins and um, Spud Webb. Uh, Grant Fear, goalie for the NHL. Andre Risen in the NFL. See if you got some baseball in here. Wade Boggs, Dave Winfield. Uh. They had Randy Couture from Mixed Martial Arts. That's just not fair. I think in one of the season threes that I had watched on Hulu, I recommend you guys get Hulu if you um, sick of playing for uh, cable, by the way. I know that there's some things that they might not be able to air right away, but they had uh, season three on Pros vs. Joes, and at the end of it, I remember these guys had to fight Big Bob Sapp, who was also in the NFL, and... When they had some of those K-1 Grand Prix and stuff that used to be on ESPN, like real late at night on the weekends, if you didn't have anything to do, maybe you were out drinking with your friends or having some fun, you were just having a late night and you watched some K-1 Grand Prix. I think uh, Bob Sapp was fighting against Ernesto Hoost. <laughs> so that was pretty cool to watch Bob Sapp kick one of these guys. He's like 350 and 6'6", let's say, and the Joe is like 200 pounds less. And I seen him kick one of the Joes and lifted one of them off the ground with a kick. It's just incredible stuff to watch. And It's just of some of these guys that I named: Christian Okoye football, Paul Coffey in hockey, Warren Moon in football. There's some other ones: Mitch Richmond. I think he's an incredible basketball player. Part of that run TMC. Some other names in here: Rod Woodson, Jamal Anderson. They said Bob Sapp, Allen Houston. A lot of these guys. I mean. If you're going to pick somebody, and if you are just say you're really... There's a lot of really athletic people out there, really guys that play a lot of sports. If you were going to pick somebody in the Pros versus Joes time frames. I mean, these guys are out of the league now, let's say for a few years. Maybe they hadn't lost too many steps. But if you were going to pick somebody from the Pros versus Joes, who do you think you'd most likely be able to beat? And did you really like that show? Or what are some other sports-related shows that you would like to see come back on the air? I would really like you guys to leave some comments. If you could for that, I'd like to see what kind of sports shows maybe I had missed that are really good that uh, I should be watching. But what what athlete do you guys think that you would be able to beat? Now, for me, I don't have the luxury of being able to beat any of these guys because I was born with cerebral palsy and stuff, so i got to walk with crutches and stuff. It's going to be hard to get around. But I enjoy doing what I'm doing, working and writing articles for the newspaper, writing sports, and doing some of the stuff on the radio and doing play-by-play and some of the stuff for games. So I watch this stuff. You know, I would love to be able to compete in all of that, but I would think in a perfect world, if I could actually compete against one of these guys, I would guess, if I, because I really, really wanted to play basketball, probably be one of the basketball guys, but I I wouldn't want to go up against Mitch Richmond. I think he's like an incredible all-around player. I would take my chances with... Um, with Muggsy or Spud, just considering you think you'd have a height advantage and maybe some get some jump shots on them and just try to protect the ball as much I'm just going to take that route I know it's the easy way out, but I mean if you guys are really good at soccer if you're really good at baseball really good at basketball really good at football interested to see what you guys would pick. I just think that show should be back on the air it was just more it was really fun to actually watch these guys compete and to watch the pros compete again quite frankly and see a lot of these guys that are on the on that show hadn't lost a step and they were really damn good and you know it'd be cool to see maybe if they bring him back in a few years maybe bring back the same host or any other host that you guys would like to see as long as it's not Joe Buck because I really can't stand that guy I can't stand to listen to him when I watch like baseball games or any of that stuff so please don't recommend him but give me give me a funny host give me some stuff that can do some trash talk give me some athletes that are fired up maybe in a few years just take some of these guys that are the new uh, breed of athletes that are just getting out of the league and see how that competition would go. So, Pros versus Joes earns my vote. What's your guys' vote? This is going to be John, off, John Ott signing off for Sports Day in the D. I'm really happy to bring this second show, and I'm glad you guys have been able to listen. I'm going to come in next week, probably talk about Tigers' playoff chances again, the Lions matchup. I'm going to bring in some everyman topics to throw in here as well. And... Just have a great night, guys, stay safe, have a good weekend, and I'll catch up with you next week.